The New Testament, today's a little bit of a transitionary day, but we're going to move from the New Testament back to what my, one of my favorite seminary professors called the First Testament. I had this professor in seminary, he was my Old Testament professor, and he taught Hebrew and all these classes, and one of his big things was he didn't like the term the Old Testament, he called it the First Testament. There's a lot of truth to that. We want, to, we want to talk about what God has said to us in that first, probably about two-thirds or more of your Bible. We call it the Old Testament, and that's fine, but, but I'll try to honor my uh, professor and say First Testament as much as I can. Because in it, we will still find, as we have done in the last three four weeks, we will still find ourselves pointed to Jesus Christ. Even though we're going to be spending some time in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to a Savior that would come. We look back when the Savior that has already come. We are still looking at the same Savior. And I trust that God will use this in our lives. And and today we're going to kind of transition. We are going to be in the New Testament a little bit today as we transition to talk about what the New Testament holds for us and and how it is that we are to approach it and, and learn of our Savior through this really very old book that holds very relevant truth for us. Before we dive into that, though, let's let's pray together and ask God to really open our hearts up to Him. Lord Jesus, we come to You asking Your Spirit to work. Lord, it's an impossible task that we're trying to do here. We're we're trying to um, take words and speak to our spirit. And Lord, that is impossible on our own. So we're relying upon You to direct us and to, to use Your Word in the way that You want. So Father, do that, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. In a few weeks, uh, my family is going to be celebrating my father's 75th birthday. Looking forward to that. We're going to surprise. I hope he's not listening to the recording because it's a surprise birthday party. Um, One of the things I appreciate about my dad, um, one of the many things, is he's been a faithful journaler. Now, I've told you about my father before. He's a welder, a mechanic, a pipe fitter. It might find it unique that he also keeps a daily journal. Okay, so my father, who was born in the 1940s, did something, I guess, before it was ever even cool. He started writing down daily what happened um, each day of his life. And it's a small little journal. Um, He has one of these for every single year, and none of us kids have ever been allowed to look at him. Okay, I guess someday when he goes to be with the Lord, we'll we'll drag those out and see what he really thinks about us. Um, But... (laughs) I remember one particular occasion, I think I've shared a story with some of you before, I remember one particular occasion, there was an argument going on among, among the, the children of my family. It, the issue centered around who wrecked a three-wheeler, okay? Who wrecked it? Who drove it into the pond? And there was a debate going on within the family. I'll just tell you that one, one part of the family thought that it was me that drove the three-wheeler into the pond that sat behind my house. I knew it wasn't me. I remember very clearly it was my sister, But there was another group of people who were standing with her. So now we have this debate going on within my family over who wrecked the three-wheeler into the pond. And this went on for some time. I remember one of my sisters said to my dad, said, Daddy, go get the book. Go get the book for that year. And then we'll know. And we all knew what she was talking about. She was talking about the journal that we all know my dad writes down every day what happens. And surely, on that particular date, it was Christmas morning, the morning we received those three-wheelers as a present that morning, and my sister rode it into the pond that day, and it never really run the same. Well, away he goes upstairs. Doesn't bring the book down. We're not allowed to see him. 
And down he comes and says, sure enough, it was her. And I said, yes, yes. There's nothing like written word. There's a value to something written down. We all know what it is to misspeak. We all know what it is to to represent something in a wrong way. We've all done it. I do this for a living. I do it all the time. Okay, it just happens. We say something we don't mean to. But when it's written down, when something is written down, it has another level of trust. It has another level of authenticity. It has another level of value. Now imagine if that is the very Word of God written down. You see, where we're headed now as a church, and and I think most of you are aware of this, but what we typically do is we we walk through sections of Scripture. Often that's New Testament books. We've done that as a church. We've gone through the book of Colossians and, and Luke and Philippians and others, many others. And at times we have stepped back into the Old Testament. And even over the last two weeks, we've dealt with one particular chapter, Isaiah 53. And I've I've really really appreciated studying that and, and sharing sharing with you from that. Where we're headed now, just so you know, for the summer basically, is we're going to now dive back into a part of your Old Testament called the Pentateuch or the Torah, and we're going to look especially at Exodus chapter 20, where we're going to find the Ten Commandments. So we're going to do a series now together throughout the summer on the Ten Commandments and try to understand now how do we interpret this and how do we apply this and and how do these ten rules that God gave to the people of Israel, how do they apply to us today? And I, I really believe that God's going to use this in our lives because what these things show to us is the character of God. But to sort of warm us up for that, today what I want to talk about is the Bible that Jesus read. The Bible that Jesus read. And as my professor called the First Testament. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to go see what Jesus had to say about the Scriptures. We're going to be in John chapter 5, if you want to turn there. But I want to say just a few words of introduction about your Old Testament. Okay? And I, uh, some of this stuff is kind of theological, and just bear with me. It's important truth. But I just want to share some of this with you. A lot of things you can just write down and look at them later. First of all, we've got the doctrine of the Bible. It's called bibliology. I've got some verses here on the screen for you. And these are New Testament verses that give us truth about God's Word. For instance, 2 Timothy 3, chapter 16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed, or all Scripture is inspired, and it's all useful. And so what this shows us is that the Bible is declaring something about itself. It's declaring something about itself. And it is declaring that it is the, word, the very Word of God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, I understand what, what the skeptic would say. The skeptic might say, well, big deal. That's circular logic. So what that the Bible says is about itself? I understand that. But what I want us to see is that we are not placing some other sort of idea upon Scripture that it doesn't make about itself. We're not making a claim about God's Word that God's Word does not make about itself first. We, we understand truths about God's Bible, about His Word, because God's Word has declared this about itself. We believe that this is God's Word, not because we want it to be, because it declares itself to be. Now, if you have interest in, in what's what's called sort of the defense of the Bible, there there are great resources for that. I would give you one that you ought to read. 
It's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. If you are interested in whether or not the Bible, are there, are there, are there evidences proving that, that, that demonstrate that the Bible is inspired by God, that's a great place for you to go. Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. I would encourage you in that direction. Another thing that the Bible says about itself in 2 Peter chapter 1 is that this is, this is the case. That holy men spoke as they were led by God. So when the writers wrote down the Word of God, they weren't just giving their ideas. This is the means of inspiration, how God did it. God, through His Spirit, worked through individuals that they would write down words. And that's where 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13 goes. That it is the words of God that, are in, that are, have been imparted by the Spirit. Not just the ideas. And not just the idea that God loves you. But the very words of God have been inspired. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in Him shall have eternal life. It's not just the idea that God loves you. Although that's true. We have the very Word of God. This is called Bibliology, okay? And it is the doctrine of the Bible. And an interesting fact about these verses I have on the screen is all of them are primarily when they are written talking about the Old Testament. They are primarily talking about the First Testament. The part of the Bible that we don't seem to talk about very much that we kind of seem like we're in the dark about, Paul is saying these things about. Now, there are similar things said about the New Testament, granted, but we need to recognize that there is value in us studying out the First Testament. I also want to show you just another slide up here on the screen. And, and, um, no, this one actually is just a verse. I want to say something about the power of the Bible. The power of the Bible. On the screen you have the words of Jeremiah. For Jeremiah 16, listen to what Jeremiah said. Speaking to God, he said, Your words were found, and I ate them. I love the the vivid words that God inspired Jeremiah to use. He found God's word, and he brought it into him. He ate it. And God's words became to him a joy and a delight of his heart. I love this passage from Jeremiah. It's what, it's what we want to see true of our church. That God is working in us and God draws us to the place where we find Him in His Word by His Spirit working in us and they are a joy to us and a pleasure to our heart. I gave you several verses on your worship notes, and we want to take the time to look at all of those, but I just want to say a brief word about, about many of those verses. Deuteronomy 32 says, Moses says here that the Word of God is our very life. Wow. Psalm chapter 1 calls us to delight in the law of the Lord. Psalm 78 says that we should never forget the Word of God. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law or the commandments but to fulfill them. We go on, John, John twice, John, in John chapter 20, and in 1 John chapter 5, same author, he wrote, I write you these things that you may believe and that you may know. 
We need to see that there is power here in the written Word of God. And nobody comes to faith without hearing. You see, we need to hear from God. We need to hear from Him. Not in some general sense, like looking at creation, looking at the stars, looking at the moon. That's great. You can see there is a God. But nobody is saved from seeing the moon. Nobody is saved from seeing a tree and wondering, wow, where'd that come from? People are saved and people grow in their Christ-likeness as the Word of God is exposed. They are exposed to God's Word, the written Word, and God's Spirit uses it in our life. It's why it is that we get together for, what, an hour and 15 minutes, and what we're doing right now, listen, every educational specialist would say this could never work. If we went down the hallways here and asked the teachers, hey, what do you think of a 45-minute lecture? Think that'll work? They would all laugh you out of the room. That would never work. You might feel like it isn't working. I don't know. But this shouldn't work. But it does. Because we're looking at God's Word and God's Spirit now acts and uses His Word to draw us into Him. Where we're going to go today uh, for, our, for our most of our time, like I said, is into the Bible that Jesus carried in John chapter 5. I want you to see that He's referring to it. Okay, I want you to see, look in John chapter 5. Look with me at verse number 45. Okay, Just to see, I want you to see what's happening here. In John chapter 5, verse 45, listen to the words of Jesus. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Verse 39, above it says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Jesus here is referring to Scripture. Now let's understand when this is. This is probably about 30 A.D. 30. The first book of the New Testament was written 20, 25, 30 years after this. So what is Jesus talking about when He says the Scriptures and when He says the words of Moses, when He refers to Scripture, what is He talking about? Well, let me show you what Jesus' Bible would look like, okay? Now, not really. Somebody said it would be a sack of scrolls, and that's exactly right. Jesus didn't have a Bible, a book like you have. But he had what we now call the Old Testament. He would call them the Scriptures. Okay? Or he might call them the Law, Prophets, and Writings. These are, this is the sections of Scripture that Jesus spoke about. And this is the order of how those books were laid out in the Hebrew Bible. Now, if you look at that and look at your table of contents, you will find they're not the same. And that might bother some people, but it, it need not. It doesn't need to bother you at all. I'll explain to you why that is in just a minute. But there's a very interesting verse in Luke chapter 24 where Jesus says, from the blood of Abel to that of Zechariah, the Scriptures have testified to this truth. And that might seem kind of odd, okay? You can turn there if you want to. It's in Luke chapter 11. I misspoke. Chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verses 49 to 51. Luke 11, 49 to 51. Jesus is trying to support the fact that He is sent from God. And He makes the point... That his people, God's people, have rejected every single prophet God sent to them. 
He says, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Okay, now you might not know who Zechariah is, but who's Abel? Anybody? Cain's dead brother. That's exactly right. Cain's brother whom he killed. You'll read all about it in Genesis chapter 4. And so Jesus here said, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, my word has been true. My word has been supported. You have rejected the prophets. And I say, what is Jesus driving at here? What he's showing us, if you look at our screen, Genesis, first death, Abel, to the very last person who dies in the book of Chronicles, guess what his name is? Zechariah. When Jesus made that statement in Luke chapter 11, he was saying the Old Testament is from Genesis to the book of Chronicles. And by the way, in case you ever wondered, that doesn't include the Apocrypha, which had been written when Jesus said this. The Apocrypha was written before Jesus was ever alive. And it came after Chronicles in the Hebrew, if you saw a Hebrew version of the Bible, it was there. But Jesus said, from Abel to Zechariah. He also identified the three sections, law, prophets, and writings, and said that these are Scripture. In case you ever wonder, in case you ever wonder why it is that your Bible is different than your Catholic friend, that's why. Let's talk about your Bible, okay? Go one slide forward. Um, now, here's how your Bible is laid out. This is just, just, just for your information, okay? Um, see, the English translation that we have has been based upon the Septuagint. The Septuagint was a, was a translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek. It's called Septuagint because history says that 70 scholars, they're sept, they all work together to make this translation called the Septuagint. And the way that ours is laid out is like this. And you just, it's just some interesting things I want to point out to you. Okay? It's, I find it stri- very, just striking. You know, I'm a numbers guy, right? Okay? These numbers have no spiritual significance. But I just find them interesting. 39 books in the Old Testament. 17 books of history. 17 books of prophets. 5 books of the writings. Within those 17 books, 5 of them are the books of the law. The Torah. By the way, Jesus would have called His Old Testament, He would have called the Scriptures, or the Tanakh is what He would have called it. Okay? The Torah is the first part of that. It's where we're going to spend our time this summer, in the Torah. Torah is a word that means, ready for this? It doesn't really mean law. A lot of us will say, what does Torah mean? You might say, well, it means law. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Torah actually means, now listen to this, and let it instruct you. Torah, which is the name of the first five books of our Old Testament, means instructions, is what it means. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's the instructions from God. We have five of the books of the law, then you go into 12 books of history. In the prophetic section, you've got five main prophets, and you have 12 minor All put together, 39 different books. Okay? This is what Jesus was talking about when He said Scripture. When He would say what Moses wrote, this was a word that meant all of this Old Testament. When He said the law, when He said the books of writings, when He said the books of Psalms, it included our whole Old Testament. Okay. Let's go to John chapter 5 now. All right? Let's jump in at verse number 31 
and read a little bit. Now, this is the words of Jesus. He's now being attacked, quite honestly, by some of the religious leaders of the day. And He is going to point them to Himself. Verse 31, chapter 5, this is the words of Jesus. He says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John. This is John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But what did they do to him? They killed him. Okay? They killed him. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus is saying, you want to know if I'm from God? Look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm doing, he's saying. I'm healing I'm teaching, I'm multiplying over food and breads and fish and all that kind of stuff. Look at what I'm doing if you wonder if I'm from God. Verse 37. And the Father who sent me has Himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. What is He talking about there? When Jesus was baptized, there was a voice that said, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. The Bible records that those around thought they heard some noise and didn't know what it was. It must be the lightning or thunder or something. Jesus says, the very voice of God told you who I was. And you do not have His Word, verse 38. And you do not have His Word abiding in you. For you do not believe the One whom He has sent. And then comes a striking rebuke. You need to know who Jesus is talking to here. The guys that He's talking to are experts at the law. They are called lawyers, not because they went to law school and learned about such and such case that happened in 19-whatever. They are called lawyers because they are experts at the Torah. They are called lawyers because they know every single detail of Scripture. They know the Bible inside and out. They've been memorizing things since they were a kid. They went to church every single Sunday, every Sunday school lesson. They heard it all. They're experts. But look what Jesus says to them in this rebuke. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about Me. Yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, Jesus says. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, will you receive him? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one 
who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? I want us to see today, I want us to see how Jesus viewed the Scriptures and how Jesus used His Bible. Jesus' purpose for the Old Testament. How Jesus used His Bible. It's not just here, by the way. It's not just here. I think of the parable of the, of the man who died. And he's now there. Way, he's, he's, in, he's in hell. And there's another gentleman that says, let, I want to go. Let me, let me go tell my brothers so they don't have to come to this wicked place. What Jesus said. They have, the Mo- they have Moses. They have, pr- they have the prophets. If they do not believe them, they will not even believe it if somebody comes back from the dead. Folks, God's Word is powerful. And it is the thing that you and I must take to other people. People don't need our opinions. They don't need our, our thoughts about this political issue or that one. They don't need your influence. They need God's Word, empowered by God's Spirit, shared by God's people. This is what is needed. You see, this is communication from God. That's what this is. Communication from God. Because man has a problem. Man has a problem. You ever had a problem? You ever had a physical ailment that just keeps on dragging you down? And there's like nothing you can do about it. Most of you guys know I enjoy exercise. It's something I just like to do. And, and when I first started working out years and years ago, um, I made a mistake. I should have talked to my doctor about this, but I didn't. And, and what I was doing, I was trying to stretch out my legs. You know how you'll run and you get real, real sore in your legs? Okay? I was trying to stretch out my legs. I had a problem with my calf muscles. They were real, real super tight. So what I would do, I, I kind of want to act this out for you a little bit. What I would do is I, I would get on the treadmill, okay, and I'd turn around backwards like this. I'm not going to do it. I would stretch my, my, the back of my leg as hard as I could. I would even take, this is stupid, all right, but I would take the treadmill and I would pull myself down further trying to stretch out those calf muscles. And in the process, you know, my calf would feel a little better, but I started feeling this little bit of pain in the bottom of my foot, okay? You ever had this? I had this problem about arch, and, and it just wouldn't go away. Anybody had this before? I, plantar fasciitis. yeah, yeah. It's a killer, man. I mean, once I had this problem in my feet, everything was affected by it. You didn't know it. But I'd be up here preaching, and I would go home, and Nancy would say, how you feeling? And I'd say, my feet hurt so bad. I would hobble around my house during the day because my feet hurt so bad just after standing up here for an hour. I was in bad shape. It affected everything. It was a problem. Man has a problem. And the problem is that we do not seek God on our own. Man resists truth. We resist law. We resist God. This passage is showing us this truth. You see, God has to communicate to us. God must communicate in a supernatural way because we have ears that will not hear We have eyes that will not see. 
And the stinking awful truth of it is this. It's not that we're just some victim of this blindness so that we cannot see. It's worse than I'm the victim of blindness that I can't see truth. The truth is, I will not see truth. On my own, without God working, I resist truth. Keep your finger here and go back just a couple pages to John chapter 3. And see the problem of man. See, the, see what John had to say about the problem of us. Why something supernatural has to happen in our life. Because we have a problem. John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the words of Jesus. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people, and people that is, loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Man has a huge problem. We have an internal preference for darkness. We have an internal preference for blindness. It's not just that I can't see truth. I don't want to see truth if God doesn't work. This is horrible news. This is why we need a supernatural book. I'm all for reading Christian books. I'm look, I thought I had one up here. I'm all for reading. I'm reading a book by John Piper right now. Great book. Love it. But this is a supernatural book. This is. John Piper's book is never going to dive through the darkness of my heart and your heart and man's heart like God's Word does. Jesus is showing that in our passage. Just real quickly, walk through me. Walk through with me. John the Baptist wasn't enough. John the Baptist testified, not enough. Okay? Jesus works. They were testifying. He's the Messiah. Not enough. A voice from God. A voice from the heavens. God Himself. Not enough. The only thing that was enough was the very communication from God. That is what Jesus is saying. If you look down with me here in verse number 39, He says you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about Me. Folks, we're made for eternal life. And this is eternal life, in case you're wondering. It's not heaven. Eternal life is not heaven. John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life. That you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. You see, the way that we find the truth that brings us the knowledge we are designed for as through the very Word of God. God has communicated. God has communicated. How silly of us that I run... At, I will one day run upstairs into my dad's dresser where I know his little books are and I'll grab them up and I'll read them because I want to know what my dad thinks. And we have the very Word of God. And we don't treasure... We don't prize, we don't value, we don't prioritize. But we have the communication from God. Now let's just keep going here just quickly here. What else do we find? Um, verse 36 is an important verse. 
I know it's back a little bit, but I want you to see it. Jesus here says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Not only does God's Word represent the communication from God, it also represents our relationship with the Father. You see, Jesus spoke about God in a way that had been unheard of. Over a hundred times in the Gospel of John alone, and just over 60, like 67 times in the other three Gospels, Jesus calls God His Father. Now, to you and me, that's no big deal. We know that all the time. We pray it all the time. Oh, Father, hear me now. Okay, Father, who art in heaven. We pray that way all the time. But you need to know something. When Jesus said that, when Jesus spoke about the Father in that way, in that personal relationship type of way, that was absolutely unheard of. Absolutely unheard of. So over 165 times, the Gospels speak about God being our Father. The personal Father of believers. 165 times. Only 15 times in all of the Old Testament is God called a Father. You see what Jesus is revealing? This relationship we have with the Father. Now, the Bible, the Old Testament written in Hebrew... If you went to a synagogue in the year 30, if you went to a synagogue, it was done in Hebrew. But the language that everybody spoke around town was called Aramaic. And it's very close to Hebrew. And there's one word I want, I want you to learn in Aramaic. Actually, you learned one last week, Maranatha. You'll learn another one today. And some of you know what it means. It's the word Abba. It's not a rock group from the 70s, okay? That's not what it is. It's the Aramaic word that a child used for his daddy. Abba. Abba. And it grew in time. It started out as just a little baby. Abba, saying daddy. But then as that child grew and became an adult, he would still refer to his father as Abba. And it was a word of respect. It was a word of honor. It was the exclusive title that that child could use for his daddy. Jesus is in the garden. Mark chapter 14, verse 62. He's coming to the cross. And as wicked as the cross is, the worst part is coming to bear sin. And he prays this prayer. Abba. Father, Abba. If, there, if, it, if it would be your will, take this cup from me. Jesus spoke about the Father in a personal way that the Old Testament, quite honestly, doesn't use those terms. But over and over and over, we have this relationship aspect that the Father has with His children. You see... Sometimes we call the Old Testament the law. And that's okay. That's all right. The Bible itself calls itself the law. But I want you to look at it in a different way. I want you to look at it the way that Jesus does. You see, this is how Jesus saw the law of the Father. It's like the law of a dad. 
I want you to picture a storybook household, okay? See it there in your mind's eye? You know, you got the picket fence, you got the nice quiet house inside, okay? The family's all there, 2.3 children, whatever it might be, I don't know, all right? And dad, you know, comes down the hallway in that pleasant voice. He's not angry that day. Okay, he's had a good day at work. He says, honey, help me get the kids. I want to share something with them. And so all the family gathers there in the living room. You see them? And dad sits down. And he says to his small children sitting there, listen, listen, my, my, my children I love greatly. There's a great big road right there in front of our house. It's called Interstate 81. And great big trucks drive down that road really, really fast. So listen, children of my, of my love, listen to me. Don't play in the road. Don't play in the road. Because in the road, there's harm, and there's damage, and there's pain. Now I ask you, do those children see that law as restrictive? Do they see it as a, as a burden that's too great to bear? Do they see it as something they don't want? No, it reveals the character of their Father and His protection for them. Jesus spoke of God in these terms. Abba, Father, Daddy, the One who loves me, the One who takes care of me. It's important because it drives to the end of our passage for today. And that's, we're going to jump in down here where we read earlier. We'll start at verse 42, but I'm going to camp on 45 for just a minute. 42. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you, Jesus says. I've come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe, he says, when you receive glory from another? But don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. Now, we come to my my closing sort of emphasis for today. And it's this, that we need to know God through the Son. We need to know this God, this Father, through the Son. There is no other way. There is no other way to the Father except through the Son. And Jesus is showing them that here. He says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Already it's implied here. The, the accusation is done. You are already accused. You were already found guilty. And that thing that accuses is Moses. Now what is he talking about? He's talking about the law of God where, where Moses said, this is what God expects of you. This is what God requires. And man can't live up to it. So what we see here is that, that the Scripture, that, that the, the Old Testament shows us the need for the Gospel. It starts out with the need of the Gospel. Verse 46, For if you believed Moses, you believe Me. That's important. Jesus is not a new idea that shows up on the scene in zero. This has always been God's plan. Always been God's plan. You'll find it all the way back into Genesis where God will send one. God will send one and bless the whole world through Him promise of the Gospel was there. We're going to find the promise of the Gospel even in the Old Testament. And then, verse 47. But if you do not believe His writings, how will you believe My words? The last thing here. 
what, what we're going to find as we, as we look in, in the Old Testament is the power of the Gospel. Not under the, not under the promise, not under the need, but even the power. Because see, here's the truth. When we look together and see what God has revealed about Himself through the, the First Testament, here's what's going to happen. Let me just warn you. First, you're going to feel woefully inadequate. We are going to, we are going to recognize that we have fallen short of the mark. We're not supposed to kill. You say, well, I've never done that. At least most of you can say that. But then Jesus says, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. Every single one of us will feel the need of the gospel when we open up our hearts to the First Testament. Secondly, we will will see the promise of the gospel. We're going to see it over and over and over that God loves us like a shepherd, that God loves us like a father, that God loves us like a husband, and He's going to meet our need. His promise. And lastly, we're going to see that God's Spirit comes and indwells us and empowers us to live out God's law. We're going to understand what these Ten Commandments and many others are about. They're about establishing a need. They're about a promise of the Gospel and about the power of what the Lord is going to do in our lives. When we submit to our Lord, when we come to our Savior and receive Him as our own. Have you done that today? I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ and the Father who sent Him who loves us, His children. It's who He is. It's who He is. Me? Child. It's who I am. It's who I am. You sang it. Let's pray it. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your adoption of us as Your sons, as Your daughters, as Your children. Lord, co-heirs with You. Lord, I thank You for the truth of the Gospel. That there's nothing we can ever do to earn or keep it. It's only a gift from You. But we receive it today with gratefulness, Lord. Dependent upon Your mercy and Your grace. Lord, as we endeavor to live out Your call, God, empower us by Your Spirit. Use Your Word to shape us. Conform us to Your image, Lord. Thank You for Your grace. pray this in Jesus' name.